I'm going to uh, ask you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, or listen to me as I read from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. Paul writes to his son in the faith, to his disciple Timothy, who is a pastor in Ephesus, and he says in verse 3 to Timothy, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Let's pray. Lord, we would echo that prayer for understanding. Give us understanding of this text. Give us understanding of what it meant for Timothy, what it means for us today. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our God is a God of truth. Uh, In Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4, it says, He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth, and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Psalm 31.5 calls him the Lord God of truth. Well, in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, Uh, Paul had instructed Timothy to commit the truth to faithful men who in turn would pass it on to others. Before that, earlier in chapter 1, he had told him to guard uh, the truth. Uh, But the faithful transmission and and guarding of the truth is a vital task, especially of the leadership. Uh, We have a great responsibility in this area. And... uh, It's not an easy task. It's not as easy as it sounds. Uh, You can just look at the church today and see that we really haven't done a great job, uh, at least in this country, uh, of preserving and passing on sound doctrine to the the next generation. I just read this weekend uh, Ligonier's uh, uh, State of Theology survey that that was just done recently. Uh, Another uh, thing that was... uh, found out in that survey is that 48% of evangelicals, evangelicals defined as those who say they're born again, those who believe the Bible is the word of God, and so forth. 48% of evangelicals believe that God is subject to change. Well, I think, I would guess 100% of you believe that God doesn't change. I am the Lord, I change not. Well, that's just one example of a failure to somehow pass on the truth to the next generation. And and as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in the sermon, we need faithful men and women who will guard the truth of Scripture with their lives and take pains to pass it on to the next generation. If we fully commit ourselves to this task, we will find uh, just how difficult it is. And that's why Paul begins in verse 3 to say to Timothy, you, Timothy, therefore must endure hardship. It's not going to be easy what I'm telling you to do. Get ready to suffer. 
And hardship's not something that any of us sign up for. Uh, most of us would take comfort, pleasure, and ease. That's the American dream. Uh, but we've got to readjust our thinking a bit if we're going to heed Paul's message this morning. I, I read a quote recently by Thomas Jefferson who said, I prefer the tumult of liberty to the quiet of servitude. And, and the point is that there is inherent difficulty involved in preserving freedom. If you want freedom, you can't just sit on the sidelines and expect that it's going to continue. You've got to get involved. You've got to fight for it. Well, the same thing goes for truth. And really, truth is more foundational uh, than freedom. It's the foundation for freedom and every other blessing uh, that we have. And, and so if we fail to guard the truth and lose the truth, we lose freedom. We lose lots of other things as a result. But to encourage Timothy in guarding and spreading the truth, Paul urges him to by three common examples. Uh, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer encourages him, challenges him to fight for the truth, to, to compete for it, and to labor for it. So you and I following uh, this example, following this, uh, these words to Timothy, uh, to, if we would be faithful as Christians in our day, then we need to be ready uh, as the farmer, as the soldier, as the athlete, to suffer hardship for the sake of the gospel. And the first thing is that you and I must learn to live as a soldier. You must therefore endure hardship, Paul says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Uh, some of you in this room served in the military, but probably most of us did not. And yet we know what a soldier is. We know what a soldier does. A soldier is someone who is either preparing for warfare or is engaged in warfare. And the Christian life in a fallen world involves warfare. From the very beginning of, of time, uh, when the devil and his angels rebelled in heaven, uh, there began a spiritual battle that continues to rage to this day between the armies of God and the forces of evil. It's a spiritual conflict. And in this spiritual conflict, uh, there are no spectators. We cannot sit on the side. We're all called to be soldiers, to be involved in the battle, uh, to fight the good fight of faith. No one gets an exemption uh, from battle. Uh, so we are called to resist the devil. Uh, we are called and commanded to watch, to fight, and to pray. Uh, if you study the Gospels, you see that our Lord Jesus was engaged uh, almost every day of his life in a battle with evil, with demonic forces, with the devil himself. That was the first thing that happened as he was tempted in the wilderness and he did battle with Satan. Uh, but 1 John 3.8 tells us why he came into the world. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And Christ did uh, conquer the evil one. Colossians 1.13 says he has also delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. So he conquered Satan uh, in order to deliver us who had been held captive to do his will. And Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. So Christ was a warrior. Christ won 
the decisive victory, and yet there's still battles to be fought to finish uh, out what Christ uh, what Christ has already secured. We continue to fight, and we fight, yes, against defeated enemies. That's that should be an encouragement. We know who wins in the end. We know the outcome, and so we fight against those who are already defeated, and yet we must fight. Paul says to Timothy that we must endure hardship if we're going to be a good soldier. And it's one word in the Greek, endure hardship, and it just means to suffer evil, uh, hardship, or affliction. It's the same word that uh, Paul used in chapter 1, verse 8, when he told Timothy, do not be ashamed of me or the gospel um, or of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. Did you know what you were getting into when you became a Christian? The truth is, few of us really understood the cost of following Christ when we first came to the Lord. But little by little, we began to see that. We, we see there is great cost in following Jesus and that we're, we are to count the cost. Um, but in a wonderful passage in Romans chapter 8, we're told that the Spirit of God has come into our hearts to set us free from fear, to give us that filial, that, that, that paternal relationship with Jesus, with, with our Heavenly Father, calling Him Abba, Father. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are His children and so forth. And, and that we're even joint heirs with Christ. But then Romans 8.17 adds this little caveat. After all that encouragement, it says, if we suffer with Him. If we suffer with all soldiers, of course, must expect some hardship uh, in the warfare uh, that they engage in and the preparations for that warfare. We think of boot camp and the difficulties. It's never easy. If boot camp was easy, it wouldn't be boot camp. But we all prefer peace as well. We'd rather avoid conflict if we could. Uh, But when there's a battle at stake, when the doctrines of Scripture are under attack, when we're being tempted, uh, when others are being tempted and, and we're in a position to, to help them, then we can't sit on the sidelines. We must get involved. In verse 4, Paul said, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, uh, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And his point is, not that we're not to... Uh, enjoy things in life. God says he's given us all things richly to enjoy. Uh, And so these blessings that God gives us, we're not to disdain them and act as if they're evil. They're not. They're blessings. Uh, But we must not be so preoccupied with these blessings, with the things in this world, that we let them get in our way of serving as a soldier. So we're all called as, as Christians to seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus taught us that. He also he taught his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come. What does that imply? Well, the Shorter Catechism explains this petition, Thy kingdom come, that we're to pray in that petition. It's really a, war, uh, a, a warfare imagery here. We pray that Satan's kingdom be destroyed. And that the kingdom of grace may be advanced. Uh, that's, that's battlefield imagery. And so our focus is on praying and working for the destruction of 
Satan's kingdom and the advancement of God's kingdom. We're at war, and the stakes couldn't be higher. So you're a soldier, uh, and you mustn't let the things in your life that occur and are there to entangle you, uh, to hinder you in your pursuit of holiness in your pursuit of God's kingdom. Uh, And above all, remember that your calling as a soldier is to please the one who enlisted you. That is, you ought to live to please Jesus Christ, the captain of your salvation. Sadly, we we do see, and and it's always been this way, uh, that there are some defectors in Christ's army who end up leaving the battlefield. In Luke 9:62, Jesus said, "No one having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God." So, if you call yourself a Christian, uh, you're a soldier. Are you fighting the good fight? We're tempted, I think, at times to give up. Don't give up. Uh, you've got to resist that temptation. You cannot stop fighting. Uh, and we're called to wrestle in prayer uh, against the powers and rulers of darkness against spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. And Ephesians 6 is, of course, a a powerful chapter on the warfare of the Christian. Ephesians 6.13 says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So we have weapons that God's given us, so we ought to take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, And use it to defend the faith. We ought to pray always, praying in the Spirit, putting on all the other pieces of God's armor. And and Paul began chapter 2. He says, you, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So it's a reminder that uh, Timothy and, 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 and we ourselves cannot fight and win this battle in our own strength. We're always looking to Christ. We're trusting in His power. And so... You have been supplied with grace. You have been supplied with power. You've been given the resources and all of the armor and weapons. Trusting in his power, don't let anything keep you from a wholehearted effort to win the war within and to do battle in the greater and larger war between good and evil. Fight with the sole aim of pleasing him. Well, Regardless of the cost, because Paul says endure hardship as a good soldier. Secondly, from the passage, as a Christian, you must learn to live like an athlete. Like an athlete. Paul changes metaphors from war to athletics, from being a soldier to being an athlete. It's interesting to note that uh, the metaphor of war shows the Roman influence and the image of athletics comes from the Greek world where we find the Olympics. And so so on verse 5, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Well, the Olympic Games have been around for a long time. And the Olympic Games and other games uh, were popular in Paul's day. You had events like wrestling and gymnastics and running races and so on. And... Um, In those ancient Olympic games, there were very strict rules that uh, participants had to fulfill. Uh, One 
historian said that each athlete had to state on oath that he had fulfilled the necessary 10 months training before he was permitted to enter the contest. Uh, that was because any athlete who didn't put in the necessary training and discipline would have had no chance uh, at all uh, to, to win and would have lowered the standard of the games. And that tells us something that, you know, we have this 80-20 rule in the church that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Uh, those who don't do anything to serve Christ are bringing down uh, the rest, uh, the whole. So we don't want the standard to be lowered. All must be in training. All must be serving the Lord. And Paul was applying these examples, again, first to Timothy as a minister of the gospel. And, and under uh, using this picture of an athlete, He's stressing the necessity of self-discipline for those who are in ministry. Um, Professor Donald Guthrie writes that the apostles here exhorting Timothy to keep strictly to the rules fixed by the life and teaching of Christ. So our rules are in Scripture. Our rule is Christ himself. And and so the athlete is competing for what? Uh, For a crown, for a trophy, for recognition, for honor, for glory. But you and I are, are also living... Uh, for a crown. And in chapter 4, uh, later on, we'll see that Paul says this. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. There's the athletic metaphor again. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. So th- this crown of righteousness, uh, it, it is a reward of faith, and yet it's a gift of grace. And uh, every Christian who runs well, uh, who knows Christ and runs well and competes according to, to the rules, that is, lives according to Christ's teachings, uh, will be crowned. Uh, and, and as an aside, I think we have to, to under, try to understand some of the, uh, uh, the nuances of this whole matter of works and reward in the Christian life. It's not necessarily an easy thing to do. Uh, of course, some of the obvious errors in this Um, area are when people teach that this crown laid up for us means that we work for our salvation, that we do something to merit salvation. And that's not true, of course. Uh, Some err on the other side of saying that, well, uh, whatever we receive is by grace and we really shouldn't be all bent out of shape about trying too hard to do anything for the Lord because it's all a gift of grace. And uh, we really shouldn't live for rewards at all, even though the Bible says that we probably should. (laughs) Um, I think Calvin, John Calvin, offers some clarity here. He says that justification by free grace, which is bestowed on us through faith, is not a variance with the rewarding of works. But on the contrary, these two statements perfectly agree. On the one hand, that a man is justified freely through the grace of of Christ, and yet that God will render to him the reward of works. And so the thing is, you know, we have to realize this too, that even our good deeds, even our works uh, are tainted by sin, and so God can only accept them in and through uh, our mediator, Jesus Christ. Our works are rewarded, although technically they don't uh, deserve a reward because As Calvin said, for as soon as God has received us into his favor, he likewise accepts our works so as to give them a reward, though it is not due to them. 
So we got to get uh, get our mind around this to understand it correctly. But back to the the athletic uh, picture here. Uh, athletic illustrations abound in Scripture. Hebrews 12 once says, "Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and run with endurance the race that is set before us." And we all know the dedication, the commitment, uh, the hard work that professional athletes put in in order to be successful, in order to obtain a passing uh, wealth and passing fame. How much more ought we to be dedicated to serving our Lord uh, in this life and run the race with endurance? And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.25, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, and they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Since we are living for an imperishable crown, we ought to uh, discipline our lives. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. And he urges Timothy in 1 Timothy, train yourself, discipline yourself for godliness. Bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way. So as Christians, we're in training, and we might ask ourselves, uh, what is our spiritual condition are we spending adequate time in prayer, in scripture, and in service each day? Are we involved in worship uh, without fail unless providentially hindered? Are we learning and growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and our Savior? Uh, and, and are we, on the other hand, just sitting and being passive? Now, again, we just heard a lesson on, on legalism in our Sunday school class. And I am not advocating legalism, just so you know. I'm advocating uh, a, a, a faith in Jesus Christ that knows that nothing that we do could ever save us or add to our salvation in the least, but that these things are commanded for us uh, in Scripture. And uh, if, if we really desire to, to please our Lord, to serve him, uh, then we must get up off the couch and be active in our faith, be active in our service, be like an athlete. And then thirdly, from a passage as a Christian, you need to learn to live like a farmer. Uh, again, some of you may have grown up on a farm. I happen to be married to a farmer right now, and I know what a hard-working farmer looks like. Uh, I have uh, two son-in-laws who are farmers, but it's challenging work, and crops don't really do very well unless they are worked, unless you, you give yourself to uh, dealing with them. And, and you know, a harvest doesn't, is, is something that doesn't appear immediately. It takes time. You know, you've got to prepare the soil. You've got to plant the seed. You've got to water it, fertilize it. You've got to weed it. And then it takes months until you get a crop, a harvest of something. And so the picture is that you and I need to prepare uh, we need to prepare ourselves to serve Christ. Uh, we need to sow the seed of the word into our own hearts and, and into those around us, uh, our family members, uh, our fellow Christians, and also uh, sowing the seed out in the world uh, to the lost. And so um, both before and after we plant the seed of God's word, we need to, to water it with prayer so it would bear fruit. We're asking God to make our efforts fruitful. We, we plant 
You know, the Bible says, you know, one plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. That's that's how we're to look at this matter of uh, farming and agriculture. So um, verse six, he says the hardworking farmer must be the first to partake of the crops. Uh, Again, the focus is on future reward. We're living for eternal things, not the things of time only. And so ministry is hard work. There's often little reward. Uh, outward results sometimes are meager. And your service to Christ may go unappreciated. It may go unrecognized. And, uh, and yet if we faithfully pray and work and depend on Christ in the strength and wisdom of the Lord, uh, doing what we can, and it may not be much, yet God will bless it and make it bear fruit. And, of course, many of us in this room have prayed for lost family members, lost friends for years. And uh, we're still waiting to see their repentance. Some can say, yes, we saw God answer that prayer. And what a blessing it is when we see it. Galatians 6.9 says, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And it is easy to lose heart if you're a farmer uh, because you're you're dealing with all the elements. You're dealing with diseases, pests. You're dealing with uh, the fact that it takes a lot of energy and you don't always have that energy. But you keep doing it because in Christ, as we serve him, we keep serving him because one day uh, we'll see a harvest. One day we'll see results. And even if we don't, uh, one day we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So don't lose heart. Uh, keep at it. Keep plowing. Keep planting. Keep watering and weeding. Ministry is hard work, but it's rewarding work. And, and it takes effort to, to love people and to uh, help them to see their need of Christ because by nature they don't see it. They don't want to see it. And they may not want to hear what we have to say. But keep on speaking the truth, and one day, perhaps, a seed will land on fertile soil. It will be that good soil that bears fruit. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So even, even if we don't see much fruit from our labors, we know we, that, that God can use the little things, the kind words, the 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 thoughtful gestures and uh, the sharing of the word of God in someone's life. We may not see the fruit on this side of eternity, but we know that regardless, God sees what we do for him. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you've shown toward his name. Well, in conclusion, Paul writes in verse 7, Consider what I say, Timothy, and may the Lord give you understanding in these things, in all things. And so he's saying, Timothy, meditate on these three metaphors that I've given you and their meaning for your life. And it's not that these concepts are difficult. They're very simple, actually. They're not hard to understand, but they're difficult to apply in our lives. We, we, we can justify wiggling out from under uh, these, these things. And so... Will you consider what is being said in this portion of Scripture today and how it applies to you?
All three of these examples point to devoted, wholehearted Christian service. And, and, and all these pictures remind us that the Christian life is not one of ease. If you thought it was, uh, hopefully by now, you, you know, when you first came to Christ, hopefully you realize now that it is not. <clears throat> and if we're serious about following Christ and making him known in the world, we're going to face opposition. It's going to be a battle, uh, and, and, and evil is, continues to rage against God and his people in our world. So someone's got to fight. Really, all of us must fight the fight of faith. Resist the devil. Discipline yourself for godliness. The devil is not going to lay down and do nothing. He's very active. He will do all he can to discourage you in your labor for the Lord. And, and maybe you aren't seeing much fruit. Maybe you think, well, I'm not much. I can't. There's nothing I can really do. You may doubt that the Lord could use you at all. Um, but 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I'll leave you with this encouragement. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Uh, as one author put it, beyond warfare, there is victory. Beyond athletic effort. There's a prize. And beyond agricultural labor, there is a crop. And so your labor's not in vain. Keep at it. Stay, stay the course. Uh, and, and suffer a little bit. A little bit of sweat won't hurt us. A little bit of pain won't hurt us. Uh, reflect on what the Lord's saying to you personally. And may the Lord give you understanding. Give you direction in your life. and may, the, the sermon is not meant to make you feel guilty, although that may be part of what happens. Uh, the point is to encourage you uh, to seek the Lord's blessing on your efforts to serve Him. I know that you all want to serve Him. I do. And may He give us the strength to endure whatever hardship might come our way. In the end, when we stand before the Lord, we will be the happiest of people, if we have engaged in battle, if we have trained ourselves to serve Him, if we have worked hard laboring in His field, we'll be the happiest if we worked for Him. Uh, And we'll be rewarded, yes, but we didn't deserve it because it was Christ in us uh, who did the work. So we will transition now to the...